So then Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. So again, we go back to rejoicing in the Lord. That's the key. Philippians chapter 3, and the acronyms CAKE and VCR, in part 5 of our series, The Can-Do and Joyous Christian. Hello and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast. It is difficult to have joy in our relationships when we ourselves or the other person boast of our position and status. As we will discover in our study for this week, Paul admonished the church not to boast in themselves, but to focus on knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. Before we turn it over to Father Ward, we want to say thank you for your time as you tune in each week. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by the content of this podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. And if you have enjoyed what you're hearing from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a five-star rating and review. Your positive feedback will help us reach more people with this podcast. And now here is Father Ward with the fifth part of the Can Do and Joyous Christian. So then Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. So again, we go back to rejoicing in the Lord. That's the key. Now, when he says to write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you, it could mean uh, one of two things. He could be referring back to what he wrote at the end of chapter 1 when he talks about conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, or it could mean that he had written them before concerning this issue now that he's going to address. The issue that he's going to address was a problem that the entire church faced, not just the Philippian church. It was literally a thorn in Paul's side, where Paul earlier says that There are those who are preaching the gospel with wrong motives, but I rejoice because they're preaching the authentic gospel. Here, Paul is criticizing those who are preaching a false gospel. And those who are preaching a false gospel are are people who were known as Judaizers. In other words, they were Jews who put their faith in Christ but they expected Gentiles, Gentile believers, to also follow all the rules of the Jewish Mosaic law. So, for example, if you were a Gentile and you were not a Jew, and you placed your faith in Jesus, then you also need to be circumcised physically. You also need to follow the dietary laws of the Mosaic law. And so what Paul was saying is that is false teaching because what you're doing is you're adding now to the work of Christ. All those requirements under the Mosaic law were for a specific period of time for the Jewish people in preparation for the coming of Jesus. But remember, Jesus said, I have fulfilled the law. 
And so the only things that are still relevant are those things that Jesus did not do away with. And what Jesus did not do away with was what would be called the moral law, how we are to engage in our relationship with God and with one another on an everyday basis, as well as not only reemphasize, but actually take it to a higher level, the law of love, of selflessness, of service and giving to others, as well as the law of forgiveness. Those are things that Jesus all took to a higher level. And so remember, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So in many respects, what Jesus did was even make the law a higher standard because ultimately he wants us to be like him. But when it pertains to the food laws and circumcision, we don't need to do that anymore. And certainly when it pertains to all the laws regarding the temple and animal sacrifice, those are no longer necessary because Jesus is our temple and Jesus is our sacrifice once for all and Jesus is our high priest. So these are folks that are introducing a false teaching and are causing a lot of trouble. And he gives three descriptions or characteristics of their teaching and why we should have nothing to do with them. Notice what he says. Two, beware of the dogs. Now the epithet dog, that was a reference to the dogs that roamed, that were homeless, that were wild in the community or in the, in the land. And that name or that uh, pejorative name really is found many times in the Old Testament concerning people who are not of the faith or rebelling against God. And Jesus used it in Matthew 7, verse 6, when he talked about, be careful not to be quick to judge, but first take the log out of your own eye before you look at the speck in someone else's eye. And then he says, don't, you know, um, don't cast your pearls before swine and don't uh, have anything to do with these dogs. Okay, so in that context, what Jesus is saying is people who spurn the gospel, who reject the gospel, are like dogs in a pejorative sense, as well as those who are hypocrites, those who pretend to be something but are something else. So that's strong language, but it's, it shows the seriousness that the Lord has when we're dealing with people who are supposedly representing Christ, but are something else. So he says, he calls them dogs. He says, they call, he calls them evil workers. So there's no good in this. And number three, he calls it a false circumcision. Why is it a false circumcision? Because remember, circumcision, the physical circumcision, was an outward and visible sign of the covenant God made with Abraham and with Moses and Israel. And while that was important for the time, God always said that it isn't the physical that's most important, it's the spiritual circumcision of the heart that's most important. And in the Old Testament, you find many verses, I've given them to you in the notes, 
that highlight that God is concerned first and foremost with a circumcision of the heart. Not an outward circumcision of the flesh. So it's a false circumcision. Verse 3, for we are the true circumcision. Now notice now he gives three characteristics of those who are of the true circumcision. Those who are of the true circumcision would be believers, true believers. And these are wonderful, three characteristics that should be always a part of our lives if we're truly born again. Notice he says that we worship in the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit. We worship in the Spirit. Like I said last week, remember what did Jesus say to the Samaritan woman in John 4, that the Father desires true worshipers that worship him in spirit and in truth. So what that means is that our worship cannot be confined, limited, or bound by human tradition, by outward ritual. That it transcends that. That no one has any business saying this is the way you have to worship and if you're not worshiping this particular way, you don't have the spirit, you're not saved, and um, you know, you're no good. That's wrong. And then the second characteristic is that the person who is truly circumcised glories in Christ. That Jesus is the one who's always emphasized. It's always about Jesus. So our preaching, our thinking, our uh, wisdom, everything, our example is all grounded in Christ. And we always give glory to Jesus, not to ourselves, not to the church. One of the stumbling blocks in a church that is very powerful, has a long history, is very large, very institutionalized, is that what can happen is that one's faith and relationship with Christ is replaced with faith in the church and a relationship with the church. So the church ends up being the end-all, be-all. That's exactly what Paul is rebuking. That's very bad. Now that can happen in any church group, in any denomination, but there are certain ones that are a little more susceptible to that error. The third would be, and put no confidence in the flesh. So if you're born again and if you're worshiping in the Spirit and you're giving glory to Christ, then what will follow is that you understand that you cannot put confidence in your self-centered human nature or the things of this world or the things that you have or the things that you've accomplished. In fact, we're admonished throughout the scriptures to put to death the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the tendencies of the flesh. And that's something we have to do every day. I think that is actually sometimes harder than the first two tell you the truth now Paul then says now wait a minute okay you Judaizers who are exalting this idea that you've got to follow all the law Paul says now I myself verse 4 might have confidence even in the flesh 
If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. So what Paul is saying that he is a Jew from the very beginning, he's also of the tribe of Benjamin, which was considered one of the leading tribes in Israel's history. Benjamin was the only patriarch born in the promised land. Benjamin was the one tribe that um, stood for or um, remained in allegiance to the Davidic monarchy uh, before it split into two, before there was a division. In the, the first king, King Saul, of whom Paul was named after originally, remember Paul's name was Saul, was a Benjamite. A Mordecai, the one that God used to save the Jews when they were in Persia, that the Feast of Pur- Purim, uh, Purim, I can't believe I can't pronounce that. Purim, yeah. Um, uh, he was a Benjamite too, Mordecai was. So what Paul is basically saying, hey, I'm, I'm a true Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews. That means he most likely had pure ancestry. Um, and not only that, he was a zealous Jew. He was a member of the most orthodox of the Jewish parties, the Pharisees. He not only was a Pharisee, he was a leading Pharisee that studied, we know from Acts chapter 22, under their most celebrated leader, Gamaliel. And he showed his zeal for the Jewish faith by persecuting Christians. And if someone were to look at his life, an observant Jew would say, this guy was faithful to the law. So Paul is saying, if, I, if you want to boast in your Jewishness and in following the law and being faithful to Yahweh, I'm right up there. I have every reason to be able to boast. And yet Paul then says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. So what Paul is saying there is that all that Jewish, all those Jewish um, characteristics, qualifications. He counts them as loss. But then he goes beyond that. He says, I count really all things as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. So the beautiful thing about Paul is that he's leading by example. True transformation, true joy, true loving relationships are relationships in which we're, example, we're being good examples. So everything that Paul tells us to do, everything that Jesus tells us to do, was by example. And we know the greatest impact that we have is learning through our relational right side brain, which is through watching other people doing that. So that the most effective parenting, the most effective teaching, is seeing it actually done. The worst is saying one thing and doing the opposite. We know that isn't effective. That's your left brain. So if I tell my kids you should do A, B, and C, but I'm not doing it, I'm addressing the left side of the brain, which is not the transformational side, and it's going to go nowhere. So Paul is saying, look, I've got all these requirements. I count them as loss, but I count everything as loss, and I've actually suffered the loss of everything in life. I've suffered, I've lost my freedom. I've lost my financial 
uh, support. I've lost my health at times. I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. And yet he says that it's all worth it because there's nothing more valuable than knowing the creator of the universe. Now think about this for a moment. It is incredible that we can all have an intimate personal relationship with a living God that we've been made in the image of God, that God loves us, that God has a purpose and plan for us, and even more, we've got an eternal life. Sometimes we just don't, we take it for granted, or we just kind of think, oh, okay, and we go through the motion, or we try to live our day. No, we've got to focus on it. That's amazing. It's huge, as some would say. Now, what's interesting is that for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Now, I know I've said this a couple times on Sundays, but that rubbish, that word rubbish, actually in the Greek is excrement. So Paul is really trying to show the contrast here. And may be found in him so that I may gain Christ, may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. So here is the actual why this is true. Why following the law doesn't cut it? Because Paul says, the righteousness can't, our righteousness, our holiness, our forgiveness cannot be attained through doing good. That cannot be the basis. And why is that? Because life itself is a gift. God's forgiveness is a gift. Ultimately, everything we have comes from God. So we cannot say, hey, look at me, God, look at what I've done, because he's enabled me to do everything. He's given me my brain. He's given me my parents. He's given me my friends. He's given me the capacity to do all these things. All glory goes back to him. And so Paul says, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So he doubles down. He says it twice. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. And so what that is saying is that the Christian life first is full of power, but we will suffer in this life for a variety of reasons. But that's part of the journey. And being conformed to his death means that we have to die to self to truly live, and that to experience eternal life, our physical bodies will have to die unless you're raptured. Verse 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So there's a process before we attain to the resurrection of the dead. Well, we'll talk more about, uh, we'll finish up Philippians chapter 3 and get into 4 next week, but before we look at some practical ways to control our emotions, since our relationship with God, our acceptance by God is not based on obedience, performance, that makes perfect sense because a true loving relationship cannot be based on our performance or obedience. When we do that, that's very unhealthy. True loving relationships are relationships where we trust one another, we can be vulnerable, we're free to fail. Whereas there's always a prospect of forgiveness. That can only come when we understand the reality of grace and mercy. And grace and mercy is ultimately only a gift that God can give us. You can't earn that. If we have to earn our love, we know kids who have been brought up that way, very unhealthy. Why? That's establishing a fear bond. Remember, fear bonds are bonds and relationships that are not based on vulnerability, trust, or love. 
They're based on control or lack of control. And so when you have a law, this is where cults, this is where even Christian churches can get into trouble. When you have certain laws and you say, you got to do A, B, C, D, and E to be accepted in our community. Oops, and if you don't do that, oh, we ostracize you. That's not true love. That's a fear bond. It's unhealthy. And unfortunately, some people, because of their upbringing, because of their damage or whatever, that becomes the norm. The narrative is upside down. And so they gravitate to these relationships in which someone manipulates and controls them. Or where they learn to control and manipulate someone else. All fear. Not of the Lord. Paul was all about establishing joy bonds and rebuking those who sought to establish fear bonds like the Judaizers. Okay, well, we've got to wrap things up here. Some ways to bring comfort and control to emotionally disruptive situations. So remember, we have the five levels of brain function. And we can get stuck at any of those five levels emotionally. Remember, the, the, the challenge is to be able to increase our emotional capacity, which is related to our joy capacity, which um, is related to how we respond to crisis situations and our emotional maturity. So if you're emotionally mature, you're going to be able to handle crisis. And more importantly, or equally important, you're going to be able to help others. So the first is our attachment center, right? That's the base level of the brain. That's where our attachments or relationships are formed. Attachment pain is the worst kind of pain. Attachment pain is what happens when you lose a loved one. Attachment pain is what happens when you go through a divorce. That's the worst. I'm trying to think of any other examples that'd be similar. I'm sure there might be some similar, you know, maybe where you feel you were kicked out of your group or you totally feel rejected. The only way to deal with attachment pain if you're another person trying to comfort that person is to just be with them. It is your presence. It is your availability. It is your willingness to listen, not to give any explanations. Oh, it's going to be okay. Oh, they're going to be, they're in heaven right now. Well, the person already knows that. Now, you can say, you know, let's, you can allude to that. I mean, you know, praise, especially if our loved one was suffering. But not if our loved one was taken quickly or maybe before their time. And certainly not in a divorce situation. I mean, you could, well, I mean, again, bottom line is you've got to be very sensitive, and it's better to say a few words than talk a lot. Okay, the second pain would be, the, which we're all used to, and that's when our switches go off. You know, it's the on-off switch. It's, it's when, you know, we get upset or when we get really fearful. Remember, the switch goes off because we identify something as good, bad, or scary. And so you've got the fight, freeze, or flight syndrome. And the best way to do that is to just kind of help them calm down and to quiet with them. Now, what happens, though, if it's between two people? I gave the acronym CAKE. I'll, I'll, I'll have it written out for everybody next week. It's in the old study notes. But CAKE is a good acronym. Is when you are when your switch goes off and you're arguing with someone or you're upset with someone. It's very hard to relate because you're so upset. You're hurt. You're angry. So you want to diffuse the situation and you want to look at the, situ at the person as not a problem to solve, but a person to relate to. Now, one of the great ways 
to diffuse a situation or to deal with the disagreement is to let the person share uh, let the person share what they're upset about with you and then you repeat what they said to make sure that you're getting it right and also to validate what they said think about that because what you're doing then is you're taking a step back and you're letting them know that you want to hear where they're coming from and then you repeat it so you're not getting it wrong then you can address it that's a powerful way to slow things down and to start to address the issue but cake is an acronym and that is c is for curiosity and so there you go you're just when you ask hey why are you feeling this way or what are you feeling can i repeat this back to you that's showing curiosity a would be appreciation can you think of something you appreciate about that person you don't have to say it to them or you could say it maybe to diffuse the situation but oftentimes our disagreements are with loved ones people that we have a, a, a closeness to so can we kind of step back appreciate k would stand for kindness can i think of being kind to this person even as i'm upset and E would be eye contact. Eye contact isn't a stare down contest, but it's just sh showing you're, you're in, in this whole thing. I think the bottom line here is you're slowing things down. Because that's the problem with emotions. Emotions can speed things up. Emotions can get us to do things and say things that we otherwise would not do if we were not emotionally so traumatized or triggered. Now VCR is the acronym for when you are trying to uh, help someone who is afraid, who's been hurt, who has had been uh, a bad things happen to them, who's angry. And the first thing you want to do is validate where they're at. To validate is to just, hey, this, I, appreciate, I, I'm not, I, I understand how you're feeling. Oh, yeah, this is terrible. You know, let's talk through it a little bit or, or just hear them out. Then you can comfort them. So you think of a a kid who's maybe fallen off his bike, right? Your son or daughter. You go up there and you just say, oh, this wasn't so bad. This isn't, oh, you're, you're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. You know, what, why are you crying about this? You're not validating them. You're going right to comforting them. You're not comforting them in a really healthy way. But validating would be say, oh, that's really, that looks bad. But, you know, how does it feel? And, oh, I'm so sorry that happened. Or, you know, and, and then you can then go into the comfort uh, mode. Oh, let's see, maybe we put a bandage on it and it'll be okay and, and that type of thing. So you validate what that person is going through before you comfort them. Then you comfort them and then the R stands for recover. Then you give a period of time for recovery. So that's how you deal with when our level two um, is, is affected. Then you've got the, um, the third would be the attunement center. This is when people are reading situations and people the wrong way. This is when people will ignore others because they have a perceived wrong or when they will uh, say bad things towards another person but they misunderstood they misread so when someone's upset like that they may think the world's out to get them they may think this other person is is you know a problem and they really aren't the best way we can help that person is to listen to them and to offer carefully maybe some advice, some encouragement, to try to get to the bottom of the story. But that's not always possible either. But the attunement is when you're, you're off. 
You're misreading people and situations. And because you're misreading things, you're acting a certain way. Now, the fourth level is our action center. Again, the joy center. And the only way that is what, what happens, that's when the fear bonds are, are uh, when that, that level is, is uh, dysfunctional or breaks down. It's when the person is really operating out of fear bonds. Remember last week we had a list of how do you know if you're operating out of fear bonds? And if you're operating out of fear bonds, what happens is you're distant towards people. You're not trusting of people. You're kind of in a bad mood, or people would think you're in a bad mood. You're kind of just, you're just not acting yourself. And so you cannot act yourself if any of the first three are off. But even if the first three are, are okay, if there's some residual stuff, then you're not going to be able to act like yourself at times. But usually it's because the other the first three are off. So you're not going to be able to act like yourself. And when we say act like yourself, that's when you're acting, when everything is firing on all some peaceful, you know, and when you're able to go through these four and get through these four, then, and, and they're all well, then you're able to handle emotional pain um, most effectively. So, again, this is just real basic. Uh, I'm not, you know, there's, you can get into more. But, it, the, oh, the way you get someone who is off and they're, that they're act, not acting like themselves, the only way you can do that is to have other mature people around them to model the right behavior. That's how someone can change. That's why relationships are so important. Because unless they actually see it done, Unless they see uh, the mature way of handling anger, they're not going to get out of that. So if you have parents who are immature and how they handle emotional distress, do you think the kids are going to learn the right way? No. They're going to, be, they're going to do the same exact thing. Because you learn by example. The relational side of the brain is all through mirror neurons. They're called mirror neurons for a reason. What's true about a mirror? You look at it and you see your reflection back. We learn and we see it and it comes back and we become what we see and hear and what we see done. And then finally, the final level would be the narrative engine. And when that's off, then the person needs a new explanation of reality. And when we say it's off, it means it's inaccurate, it's false. They need the truth. And sometimes, or not sometimes, it's always hard. You're never going to get the right narrative if any of the first four are off. You're going to get a false narrative until you take care of, get through those levels. So remember, all this happens instantaneously, right? It's just through the subconscious. Uh, and it's all dependent upon what we're experiencing and then how do we respond. So that's a little bit of an overview of looking at brain science and why we are the way we are. You have been listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast, a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. To learn more about our church, please visit stbartston.org. Again, that's stbartston.org. 
You can also connect with St. Bartholomew's on Facebook and Instagram through the handle at St. Bart's Anglican Church. And you can connect with this podcast on Facebook through at Transforming Lives Together Cast. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue our series, The Can-Do and Joyous Christian. Until then, we leave you with these verses from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God bless.